You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, first off, there are zero slides this morning. Um, from me. I know. And I don't even have a whiteboard. And it's super weird for me. I'm not going to lie. But no costume changes either. So maybe a simpler day. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Um, no, I, would, I was like, oh, plan God. I laugh. I laughed at Kelly. She came in the office. She's like, you ready? I was like, oh, no chance. No chance. And I was like, he laughs at my plans that I have. Because this morning I was like, oh, I'm going to get to the church by eight. I'm a very like Are any of you guys just more like up here processors? And so all of your sort of notes you take are just sort of like chicken scratch scrawled in random pages of notebooks. And that has been my prep for today. And I was like, I'm going to get to the church at like eight and I'm going to have so much time just to like put everything in a beautiful document. So it's super ready for me to be all organized. And then we had a fellow just literally walk in off the street into the church building this morning at like, yes, at, I don't even know what time, Will, what time was that at? It was not even, it was still in the eight hour, and I was like, oh, yeah, and Will knocks on the office door, he's like, hey, is Caleb here? I was like, no, he's like, oh, and I sort of peek around, I'm like, oh, okay, and I go out, and this fellow just literally walking by, and like, felt like he just needed to come in, and shout out to John Wason, where are you, for just shining the love of Jesus, in every moment of your life. He said, the reason I came in is I walked by one day and I was having a day. This relates to what I'm talking to, so it's so about today, so it's so good. And he said, I was just walking by, having a day, and there was this guy just sort of sweeping up. I think he runs the place. I was like, he does. Um, and, uh, and he's like, he was just sweeping up, and, and I was just walking by or going by, and, and he just stopped what he was doing and looked up with this big smile on his face. He was just like, hey, how, how are you today? And I was like, oh, John's pretty good at that. And I was like, so much love in that guy, hey? And he's like, I've never seen anything like it. And he was like, and I just, and he's like, he sort of had reached the end of himself this morning. And he was like, where did I feel love? And he came here. And I just sat and we just got to chat at coffee. And me and Sylvia's bustling around putting coffee out. And we're just chatting and praying for a good 45 minutes. And then Adam Atkinson walks in and I'm like, tag, I really need to go type some things. So if it's a little all over the place, I think I have like 18 pages of notes. Because it was just like all the things. But God is working God is moving. Like we pray, we're like, God, just bring them in off the street. And he still does. Guys, he's still working in the, in the everyday, blowing leaves off the driveway and sweeping up the property. God is still moving. His love is still reaching out to people. He's still calling his sons and daughters back to his heart. And you get to be part of it. So... So anyways, I was like, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. Kelly walked off the stage after practicing, and I just just start crying. She's like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. He's just good, and I'm so unprepared. And but he's good, and it's and that was so worth it. And you guys know the Bible, and you know the word. Hopefully, hopefully, some of you here know the Bible and know the word and know who you are. So I, I think those 45 minutes were probably more valuable than anything I could say on the stage this morning. So, 
Come on, be present with the people in your life. So, oh, over the last, well, last week it started, over the next few weeks, we are working our way through what uh, Caleb was calling our calling series. Okay, and we're looking at, um, if you weren't here last week, we're looking at sort of some key characters we see through the Bible. Caleb, Caleb took a crack at Abraham last week. I was like, whoo, heavy hitter to start with. I love it. Like, let's look at the book of Genesis. And, um, and he took a crack at Abraham last week, and we talked about that, and I'm going to be looking at Joseph today. Um, and we're looking at them and trying to pick out some specific patterns, um, ways that we see God calling his people to see how that applies to our life and walking out our ultimate goal and ultimate purpose here in life, which is to become more like Jesus as we follow him, okay? And just to like, I just, I was listening to Caleb's message. I wasn't here last week, so I was listening online, and he was like, you know what, we've kind of made, and we've talked about this as a team when we were talking about this series. I was like, ugh, calling series? And he's like, you want to preach? And I was like, not really. I do, because I love to preach, but can I talk about something else? Because we've sort of done this thing, and Caleb alluded to it last week, where we're like, what's my calling? Am I even called? And we've made it this, like, us thing, where it's like, have I even arrived if I'm not walking out my calling? Are you alive and breathing? And are you seeking to be more like Jesus? You're doing it. You are called. Like the Bible says in Romans 8, 28 to 20, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not your own purpose. His purpose. So if you are walking in step with Jesus and seeking to be more like him, you're doing it. You're walking out the calling of God on your life because he predestined those he called and those he called he justified and justified and glorified. And it goes on and on and on. And you can, if you're curious about what your purpose and calling is, I really encourage you to, to read Romans 8. There's a bunch in there that's really good. And read through Matthew 28, two verses. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, so that's all of our calling. We have a shared calling of the body of Christ. And that's it. Now, what it looks like for each person, right, the specific assignment that he gives Lorraine for how she disciples people and brings the kingdom of God to earth is going to look different than the specific assignment he gives me. John's assignment the other day was cleaning up the church property. And he did it well. He did it while listening to the Lord. And God moved through him. Right? So, Joseph. Joseph also has multi-chapters, okay? And we're going we're gonna to hopefully try to interact a bit today. I don't like just talking. Um, I do, actually. It'll go way too long if I just do that, though. So, just interrupt me. Okay, one of the things I love about Joseph, and there are many, and I've been really, honestly, the last, like, six to eight, month, eight months, I've kind of been on a Joseph kick, and I love it. Joseph is, like, he's kind of crazy, um, there's lots of things. But we don't actually, so last week in, in Abraham, we saw sort of there was, there's these like voice of the Lord moments in Abraham's life where God brings direction and brings very clear like, go and do this. Don't do that. Go and do this. Don't do that. Go and do this. And you have these very clear moments. That's not often for me how I feel God's leading in my life. Are there some of you who are like, no, it's clear voice of the Lord. Do this. Don't do that. You can, it's not a thing to be, it's not a bad thing. He speaks in many ways. Yes, I love that. 
I am not one of those. So I relate more with people more like Joseph and Esther and sort of the ones who are like, I am here. Oh, are you putting slides up for me anyway? No, just resetting things. I was like, Starlet is frantically typing. Um, if anyone could, she could, except I don't think she's back there. I don't know. And so we don't see that. We don't see like what we see with Abraham and Moses and Gideon. What we see is a 17-year-old Joseph. Anyone know some 17-year-olds? Aren't they great? Who has some dreams. Okay? Joseph has some dreams. We're not going to read all of the text. I encourage you to do that. But so Joseph is son of Rachel and Jacob. Okay? Abraham, who we talked about last week, is his, what would that be, great-great-grandfather, I believe. Abraham had a son who had a son who had Joseph. Okay? So we're down the line of Abraham this morning. And he's highly favored and loved by his father. Okay, you know, when people are like, oh, who's your favorite kid? His dad had an answer, and the answer was Joseph. Okay, and all parents are like, oh, rookie mistake, man, rookie mistake. But he was like highly favored and highly loved by his father. That, as you can imagine, in a house of 12 boys, caused some issues. So Joseph sort of grows up in this house, and at 17, he starts having these dreams, and you can read about them, but, but essentially, and we don't actually see the interpretation of the dreams happen. We see his brothers and his family come to an interpretation about the dreams. Okay, so he has these dreams, and, and, and sheaves of wheat are bowing down, and sun and moon and stars are bowing down, and they're like, um, stop. No. And they are, it's like a hard pass by his family. His dad's like, ah, stop. But he's like, I wonder what all that means, right? Sort of having that moment. And then his life, the other thing I love about Joseph, his life is literally sort of just one big pit. Okay? It is one big like, well, that didn't go how I thought it would. Right? And I don't know about you, but I have a good number of those in my life. I love people in the Bible that are just people, right? There's hope. So our pit number one that we see with Joseph, okay, is Joseph, his dad, we are going to read some Bible, I promise, but his dad is like, hey, your brothers who hate you, (laughs) go find them. They really don't like you too much. Go find them. And he goes out and he went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan, But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So he's really, really, this isn't just like a bit of sibling rivalry. Like, he is really hated by his brothers in a major way, okay? They saw him in the distance. They plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. So they, they can see who he is. They can see the gifting God's put on his life. Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I, have, I don't think I've ever met that level of resistance in my life before. So Joseph just goes, and, and Reuben having a bit of a steady head on his shoulders, tries to rescue him. He says, let's not, let's not kill him. Let's not be hasty. Okay, don't be hasty. Let's just put him in the pit. 
We'll see what happens. And Reuben sort of plans. He's like, I'll go back and get him later. He's trying to be a responsible older brother here. Okay? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe. So his dad, because he loved him so much, had made him, right? We have musicals about it, Joseph. And, the, and where, Will, where did you go? He left. He has a multicolored dream coat. And Kelly was like, you should wear it. I was like, no. Um, and they strip off his coat. They take away that thing that showed that he was highly favored. They take it away, and they chuck him in this pit. And then the Bible's very clear. There was no water in it. It was empty. Okay? Empty pit. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, always big friends of the Hebrews, coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah, another older brother, said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill him? Let's sell him, not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. Let's be realistic. Okay. So when the Midianites came by, the Ishmaelites come by, his brothers pulled them out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who then took him to Egypt. So we've encountered, everyone say pit number one. Oh, that was very sad, guys. Say it again. Pit number one. Thank you. Take a second in your life. What was like, oh, what was the first pit I came to? Just take a second. Do you have some pits? I do. Okay. Pit number one. Pit number two, okay, Joseph, he gets taken to Potiphar, taken to Egypt, and then sold by the Ishmaelites to a man named Potiphar. I know I'm giving you a bunch of background on Joseph. And then is working as a slave in his house. So Joseph, the 17-year-old with all the dreams all the gifts, all the leadership capabilities is now a slave in Potiphar's house. But the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything. And from the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owed, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So we have 17-year-old Joseph, has some dreams, gets like majorly betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, but the Lord is with him. Joseph, I don't know about you, man. If I was sold into slavery, I can't say that I would be the kind of person, maybe I would, I don't know, God, I really hope I would, be the person who clearly he's living in this house and he's like, well, this is where I am. I'm just going to do what's in front of me to do to the glory of God as a slave in this foreigner's house. And he was raised up. He found favor with the Lord, which led to favor with Potiphar, which led him to being placed in a position of authority, still a slave, but in a position where he's responsible for so much. Okay? So that's pit number two. So we've got a literal pit, slavery, 
Things are not looking good. Pit number three, he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and ends up in prison. So Joseph, as, I don't know, 17 to 20-year-old fellow, he's a good-looking dude, okay? And, and he's there, and he's got all this authority in the house, and Potiphar's wife is like, I see you. And Joseph is like, no. Got to hand it to the guy. I mean, come on. Essentially, like, the master's wife is like, come on. Tries to seduce him, and he's like, no. Nope, 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 nope. She eventually entraps him, betrays him. Read it, guys. It's thrilling. Seriously, read through Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40. There is some good, crazy, wild Old Testament stuff that happens in that. Okay? So Potiphar's wife gives him. She's like, look at what your slave is doing. I don't know how long he was in Potiphar's house, but years of service potentially of faithful, favor-being-found service, whoosh, gone at one false accusation. And have you ever been falsely accused? I have. Feels pretty wretched, hey? I've never been falsely accused to the point of prison. Joseph has. Ends up in prison. So Genesis 39, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Confined. But while there, while Joseph was there in prison, key moment, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So that's like the top dude in the prison. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he made responsible for all that he was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 17-year-old, slave, prisoner. I think it's, I think it's pretty clear that there's some leadership on Joseph's life, hey? Hmm. And while in prison, he's given this opportunity to operate in the giftings that God has given him. Up until now, what we've seen is, is immense leadership, and we've seen Joseph just being faithful and being responsible and doing what's in front of him to do. And now he gets this opportunity in prison to interpret some dreams. What happened last time Joseph had some dreams? Some bad stuff happened. And he has this moment. I always, I always find those like moments in people's stories where it's like, ooh, it could have gone that way or it could have gone this way. This was one of those moments for Joseph, and I love it. And he could have been like, ooh, nope, triggered. You know, I've actually got some um, emotional damage in that area of my life. So, not today. He very easily could have allowed those things he walked through, those pits of his life, to prevent him from walking in and exercising the gift that God had put in him. But he didn't. And if anything, he goes, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream. Joseph goes, hey, you know what? It's actually all God anyways. So tell me your dream. He wasn't so attached to his calling 
and to his gifts that when hurt came in that area of his life, he just went, oh, and died. He went, oh, well, it was never mine to begin with. It's the Lord's. So then the opportunity came for him to step into more, and he was like, well, it's God's anyway, so okay. Tell me your dream. And he did. And he interprets these dreams. Read it yourself. It's very long. He interprets these dreams. One of them is really good. One of them is not so great. Okay, and he says to the one who has this good dream, to the cupbearer, he says, hey, when you get the favor from Pharaoh, tell him about me. He has this moment of like, oh, this is an opportunity. I'm going to advocate for myself here for a second. Hey, I'm falsely accused. Could you just tell him? Just tell him I want out of here. Did it work? <laughs> no. The cupbearer forgot. He gets freed from prison just like Joseph said he would. He gets his position restored just like Joseph said he would. And he promptly forgets. I don't know. I'm like, and this is, this is me, so I'm going to read into this story a little bit right now because we see this. I don't know if someone I had met in prison tells me that this is going to happen and then it happens. Come on now. Wouldn't you be like, oh, my gosh, this is happening just like that guy said. Wouldn't you? I would. No, he forgets. And Joseph remains in prison. Two years later. Okay, and in the word we know from Genesis 41, he's now 30. 17, 30, 13 years have gone by, guys, since he first dreamed. Two years later, Pharaoh has some dreams. And the cupbearer goes, oh, oh my gosh, there was this guy. Maybe he could help. And so Pharaoh goes, and he brings Joseph before him. And again, you want to know what Joseph's response is again? He doesn't go being like, well, it's about flipping time. Yeah, I can interpret dreams. I told that guy two years ago, to, right? No, he comes again and he says, hey, again, the interpretation belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. Ooh. And he interprets these dreams of Pharaoh's by the power and calling of God on his life, interprets these dreams and says, and so, so you're going to have these seven years of favor, seven years of plenty in the land, and then seven years of famine. Really, really bad famine. The biggest economic recession the world has ever seen, maybe. I don't know. I just made that up. But really, really bad famine, okay? Seven years of nothing. And then he just sort of goes, and you know what? It would be probably a pretty good idea if you find someone who can help you deal. Doesn't advocate for himself. He's like, hey, a bit of advice. I would highly recommend that you find someone trusted who can govern this for you. And Pharaoh goes, that's a good idea. How about you? And he's like, okay. 30 years old now. Now, put into this position of authority over the whole 
realm of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Still a foreigner in the land. Okay? That is like a super brief encapsulation of Joseph's story. And some of the things that I pull out of this, okay, I'm going to go back. Gets put in this position. The seven years of plenty begin, and Joseph does what he said he would do. Faithfully, the Lord is with him, and he stewards this land that isn't even his own, these people that are not his own, in an amazing, righteous way and gets favor and favor. They give him a wife. He has two sons during these seven years. His first son, anyone in here know the name of Joseph's first son? Woo! Oh, guys, I'll bring candy next time. I heard it. Manasseh. Manasseh. The first son of Joseph is named Manasseh. And you're like, so what, Frank? I don't know. Does it matter? Manasseh means God has made me forget my troubles and my father's house. So he he goes through 13 years, plus however long of suffering in his father's house before then. It's not like he turned 17 and then all of a sudden the brothers hated him. He grew up in what I would imagine was a pretty uncomfortable family unit. And his firstborn is born. He says, God, you made me forget. His second son is named Ephraim, and it says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God can make you fruitful in your places of suffering. God can bring something out of your life for the furthering of his kingdom on earth out of your suffering. He can, he will, and we're going to talk a little bit about maybe our position in that in a minute. So he's seven years of plenty, has these two children. Again, just full acknowledgement to God in all of it. Brothers return because they hungry because we've now entered the famine. The brothers come back, and Joseph, let's be honest, Joseph has some fleshly response to his brothers at moments. Okay? But the crazy thing is, there's this moment, and I was like, wait, what? His brothers all come. They don't recognize him. They come, and they bow down before him. And in that moment, Joseph remembers his dreams. And he remembers. And then you can read it, but we're not going to get all into it, and I have zero interest in unpacking that whole section. But Joseph is a, is a brother and, and sort of messes with his older brothers a little bit through this season and through this bit of time. And he sends them away and brings them back and holds them hostage. And Anyways, a whole bunch of things. Okay? But in the end, Joseph ends up back in. Okay? So he's in this forget. God has caused me to forget. And then he remembers. And I would say he slips a little bit. 
And then he comes back into this moment of forgiveness with his brothers because he remembers who he is, who God is, and his purpose in this place. And he remembers, and he says in Genesis 45, he says, don't be distressed. God sent me ahead to preserve your lives. Don't worry. There was purpose in all of this. You threw me in that pit, but actually it was God that allowed you to put me there. You sold me into slavery, but actually it was God that allowed you to do that because he needed to send me ahead so that what we heard about last week had been promised to Abraham could happen. God is, is in the big picture, and we get to be part of it, but make, make no mistake, his picture and his plan and his purpose is way bigger than you and me. Way, way bigger. And Joseph reaches that moment and says, don't worry. Don't worry. There was a reason. I got sent ahead to preserve your lives. The 12 tribes of Israel. All of Joseph's suffering. All of the pits he had to walk through. Again, in that moment, I think about that moment as like a person when these brothers, the ones who are supposed to love you and be with you forever, come before him and are like, help. Again, it's one of those decision moments in Joseph's life, and a whole nation could have paid the price. A whole nation if he had gone just a different way but he remains submitted to the Lord through it. And so some key components that I sort of see in Joseph walking out his calling or his purpose or his specific assignment from the Lord when I read through it is favor. We hear about it a lot. He found favor. He had favor with his father, and then he found favor with the Lord, which led to favor with man. It led to favor with the authority placed in his life. I see submission and humility. He didn't overly fight for position. He didn't come into this place and be like, oh, I am better than any of this. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what God's called me to do? No. He submitted. He was placed under people of authority, and he submitted, and he took care of their house. And he took care of their things, and he took care of their people, and he took care of their land. And all the glory went to God in that. The gift is the Lord. The interpretation is the Lord's. What he said to Pharaoh, he said, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can. His life was marked with this humility in it. And then, maybe the hardest thing of all, forgiveness, and forgetting. God has caused me to forget. He did what was in front of him to do. God blessed it and gave him favor and authority, even in the pit, even as a slave, even in prison, and then even in his finally coming into the prosperity and authority that he's called to, he still submits to the Lord. He still says, hey, God, your way. Because I probably would have been like, you know what, brothers? See you later. Enjoy the famine. Honestly, I am not a perfect human. None of us are perfect humans. 
And I got to say, I don't know if I would have, whoo, someone who had betrayed me so badly comes. I might have, like, had a bit of, whoo, nope, not going there. Okay. Caleb said this last week, God's call on your life is not about your own blessing and self-fulfillment. Joseph probably would have felt pretty good for him just to be like, look where I landed. How's the desert? But it wasn't about Joseph. And Joseph got, this isn't about me. There's something bigger happening. There's something bigger. And it's about a blessing to those around you and seeing the kingdom of God established here, now, in your life, in your community. And perhaps sometimes we allow the pits a lot more power than they deserve. Maybe you had a dream and someone went, no. And then you've lived there for years. Maybe you don't have the position you want. Maybe you know you're born for leadership and you are in service. And we live, and maybe we've put ourselves in a pit, maybe we've been thrown in a pit, and maybe God's allowed us to be in a pit. And maybe we've given them a bit more power because the pits in our life, the pits in Joseph's life, could either have stacked up and become the emotional damage that he dragged with him through life that prevented him from being obedient and walking out the calling of God on his life. Or it can become, like we hear in the New Testament, the testimony that we overcome by. So are the pits in your life serving to just give you more boundaries, walls, and emotional damage? Or are they serving to allow the power of God to be magnified and exercised through your weakness and your struggle and your suffering? And I think I have this friend, and she gave me permission to talk about some of this, but, but I've seen this in life. I have this friend who grew up in... In a family where, you know what, she probably should not have succeeded in life. She had a pretty absent dad when he was around. Not a great person. And a mom who worked and worked and worked for her kids. And they'd get up in the morning before school and go and help their mom clean houses. And they'd be scrubbing toilets and her and her brothers would be like, what are we doing here? And she's like, God's plans for you are bigger than this. Clean the toilet. Seriously, her faithful mother, in their suffering, in the pit that could have become the emotional damage that she then carries with her through life. Instead, she's like, oh, she is filled with such love for her father. God has caused her. We laugh. She talks with her brothers, and they're like, oh, yeah, remember that terrible thing that he did? That terrible. He has allowed them to forget. 
He has caused them to forget and forgive. And they have such incredible love for their father that they can be in relationship with him. They're serving the Lord, pastoring churches, walking out the specific assignments that God has placed on their life. And they have more authority now to speak into brokenness because they lived it. And they could have allowed it to destroy their marriages because they never had a healthy marriage modeled for them. But they didn't. They said, hey, God, it's yours anyways. (laughs) Do what only you can do. And there is an incredible gift. And I just encourage you, if you are like, there are things that have happened in my life where I'm like, God, could you just just help me forget? (laughs) I can't. We were talking about this at family Bible study, and it was like... um, Does forgiveness always mean forgetting? Do we have to forgive and forget? And I was like, oh, I can't on my own. Mike laughs. He's like, you have the memory of, oh, you're so, remember last week when, and he's like, and you will remember full conversations and exactly the words I use. And and I literally, it's like a vault. And, and And it's just like, Lord, help me to forget. Help me not to. And, and we see this in Jesus on the cross. Wow, talk about what probably from the outside looked like a massive pit of failure of ministry. Little did they know. He says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Can we live in a way so that when we get chucked in pits, put in pits, lay ourselves down to die in a pit, where we go, oh, Let forgiveness rise in my heart. Help me to forget. God, I pray that you would help me to forget the pain. Help me to forget the things. And I'm not saying that we just like leave ourselves as these open for attack all the time, constantly vulnerable humans. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I am saying that if you and yourself, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about seeing that. And, and in my life, I've seen this in those of you who, who know me and know a bit of my story know I have a brother who is just difficult. And I, like, difficult. And growing up in the house with him was, whew, a daily assault to self-esteem. <laughs> And he was adopted into our family. And somehow, God has allowed me to forgive. And somehow has allowed me to look at him and I message him every now and then. I'm like, I love you. I miss you. There's, it's broken still. It's broken. We have no relationship now. But every now and then, it's like, hey, I love you. I see you. I miss you. You are loved. And he'll curse me back. He said, hey, I love you anyways. And my husband and I, before we even got married, I was like, I'm going to adopt one day. And don't marry me if you don't want to adopt babies and kids. And people are like, how could you possibly even want to do that? Are you insane? You literally saw all of the stuff from your brother, and you see this, and I'm like, mm-hmm. 
but it's not about me. It's about being obedient, being submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life. What does that look like for you? What does it look like to go, hey, God, all the stuff. All the crap, all the hurt, all the pain, all the betrayal, all the success, whatever it is. Because we can make a mountain out of our pit too, right? We can be like, I've got it all. I'm going to just stand here on my mountain in my prosperity. There's purpose from the pit, guys. There's purpose there. And so I just encourage you. I know it's a bit of a heavy, heavy sort of thing, but the beautiful thing, okay, when we live submitted to the Holy Spirit in it, when we live submitted to the authority of God and the authority that he's placed us under in the world, not in the world, don't hear that wrong, okay, whether it's in your marriage or in your church or your workplace, maybe your boss is the worst, but dang, that's the job God gave you. So you better do it really well. In your day-to-day life, whatever it is, Drew's laughing, my husband's his boss. Um, So he's like, he's terrible. (laughs) No, whatever it is, wherever God has placed you, that's where your purpose is right now. Wherever. Wherever it is, whether it's a pit, a mountain, prosperity, what feels like slavery, I don't know. I should, ooh, that was intense for Joseph, okay? That is where he wants to walk out his purpose through your life, right now, today, tomorrow, the next day. And if you just say, hey, God, here am I. Let me be obedient to you. Father, help me to daily forget the pain of my past, Help me to daily forget those who have betrayed me because I don't want anything holding me back. I don't want anything holding me back from stepping with obedience, submission, and humility into what you've called me to do today. So take a minute. As we close, I just want to take a minute. And just like we see these sort of clear pits in Joseph's life, why don't you just take a minute and, and, and maybe this is a moment where you remember what God has done. Because we're called to do that. We are called to remember what God has done. And maybe this is that moment where you're like, man, God, thank you. Thank you. We rejoice in suffering, guys. So Jesus, thank you for allowing this to happen in my life because I saw your goodness and I saw your faithfulness guide me through it. Or maybe it's, hey, God, forgive me. Because I've been trying to die in this pit for 42 years. I just made that number up. If that's your number, I'm sorry. It's the Holy Spirit, not me. So just take a minute. Do some business with God, as I would say. If you're joining us online, it's going to be some dead air for a second. But take a minute. Hey, God, maybe it's like I said, that moment of of thanking him for the, what he's pulled you through. And maybe it's a moment of doing something. Hey, God, help me to be humble. Help me to submit. What are the pits in your life?
And so I just encourage you through this week and through as we work our way through this calling series, if you resonate a bit more with Joseph of that sort of just do what's in front of you to do, do it. It's really simple. Do it. If you're in a pit right now, find the purpose there. Hey, God, why, why am I in this pit right now? How do I walk out your great commission? How do I walk out the loving and discipling and, and that of the people around me from the pit? Because he might not pull you out of it when you want him to. There might be a bit more time in the pit in your future. I probably have many more in my life that I'm going to go through. And they can either steal or they can release assignment if I submit myself to obedience to the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Everyone okay? Ooh. We've <laughs> groaning and moaning in the house today. Ooh, but now we get to eat together. There's food at the end. Let's just pray. Um, you guys know me. I like big physical demonstrations. So put your hand on your head with me. <laughs> Those who know me are giggling. Heavenly Father, I thank you by the Holy Spirit that you can transform our minds and transform our thinking. And I pray right now that if there are specific things in our lives that we are meditating on and remembering that are holding us back from walking out the assignment you have for us, I pray that you would help us to forget through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to release forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray that we would have soft hearts, ready and willing to be used by you in the pit, on the mountain, in regular day-to-day -day life. Keep our hearts soft, that we would allow you to fight for us. And we would be faithful and submitted and willing to do what you've put in front of us to do. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.